Mumbrella's ComsCon Awards is returning on May 19, 2022 with Australia and New Zealand's most prestigious PR and communications awards. Are you and your team doing award-winning, cutting-edge or meaningful work? Join us at the Four Seasons Hotel Sydney, where we recognise the industry's best and brightest. With categories ranging across business to consumer, content to strategy, government to pro bono, Enter the Mumbrella ComsCon Awards for your chance to celebrate your work and showcase your business. Entries submitted before the first entry deadline on February 18 will save you $100. Head to mumbrella.com.au forward slash ComsCon Awards to redeem your savings. Welcome to the final edition of the Mumbrella Cast for 2021, what has been a pretty big year. I'm Damien Francis, and for the last time this year, joining me to break down not just the week, but the whole year in media and marketing, is an all-star cast of industry reporters and analysts. Starting with an international flavour all the way from almost midnight in the UK, proprietor of Unmade and Mumbrella editor-at-large, Mr. Timothy Burrows. Going to have to correct you there, Damo. Almost 1am. That's what I do for you. Not only that, but I'm feeling ever so slightly spaced out because I've just had my third jab. So um, apologies for any vagueness. Well done on the third jab. Uh, We'll probably have to increase your pay by 10% then for the after hours, but we'll uh, deal with that at the end of the podcast. Also joining us, creative reporter Anna McDonald. Ni hao. Senior reporter Emma Shepard. Hello. Managing Editor for News and Analysis, Olivia Crimmel. Hello, hello. And Umbrella Cast Producer and Melbourne Senior Vice President of Editorial Production, the Honourable Callum Jaspin. Thanks, Damo. Sorry, mate. <laughs> Heads up, if you're looking for information on our Christmas and New Year staffing, do stay tuned to the end. I'm going to go into that a little bit, but later in the episode, I will be speaking to Publicist Group ANZ CEO Michael Rabello about... Our surging recovery in 2021 has created job opportunities. There's been such a upwards in demand, you know, a surging demand in what we're doing in terms of spend uh, that um, there's been new, you know, new roles created. Uh, there's been the shift of big business too, which we've been uh, fortunate to be on the, the upside of that. Publicist's approach to its staff and adapting to new working habits. People uh want to fit their work around how they live and not the other way around. And for far too long, it's been the other way around. Fit your life around your work. And being realistic about driving change in the industry. Uh, I'm still optimistic about this industry uh, and our ability to deliver meaningful change, but there are certainly situations where that's um, that's that's not happening. But before we get into that, I mentioned we're going to look at the year that was. Cal, how are we going to do this? So we've each selected a one storyline or theme for the year, which we and our audience took a particular interest in. Um, seeing as it's just the one kind of topic today, I won't spoil the fun and tell you exactly what's coming up. So I think we should just maybe jump straight into six of the biggest items of the year. Yeah, good idea. Six of the biggest items of the year. Let us do just that. Uh, Timothy, I feel it's probably apt to start with you being that you probably have to go to bed soon. So uh, what will you be talking about today? So I'm going to point to start the conversation with the news media bargaining code, which 
had s- quite some twists and turns, I think it's fair to say. Um, this, in a nutshell, was the government's intervention into the digital platforms in an attempt to create a level playing field. So the story goes back a couple of years uh, to when the, the government asked the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, to take a look at what was going on in digital media, and in particular at the major platforms. So we're really talking, in a, it, it, for the most part, about uh, Google and Facebook. Uh, now, as things began to move along, I must admit this one was a bit of a slow burner for me. It felt like politics and it felt an awful lot like the ideas were so outlandish they'd never happen. This idea that the big platforms would be forced to negotiate with the Australian media owners and they would have to come to some sort of agreement effectively to pay for the right to link to the content of traditional media owners, um, which was something that had never been done anywhere in the world. And it was really only as it began to become close to actually being legislation that the penny began to drop that this was real. So we kind of, we got to January of this year and two major things happened. The ACCC released its findings on the programmatic advertising chain and suggested that there was a lack of transparency and that Google was involved in too many stages of the process on the buying and selling stage. So that set uh, one sort of uh, flag for later in the year when um, the ACCC would begin to suggest some remedies on that. But also the legislation uh, began to come to the final stages for forcing what were called designated platforms to take part in the news media bargaining code. And it created a mechanism where both sides would have to negotiate. And then if they couldn't reach an agreement, an independent arbiter would come in and pick one of the offers. So it wouldn't pick something in the middle, pick one of the offers. So in theory, if if, let, let, let's assume that Google and Facebook have both been designated and News Corp had said to Facebook, we want $200 million a year. And Facebook had said, well, no, we want to give you $5 million a year. The arbiter would have just had to pick one of those two things. So it suddenly began to look real. Um, Google saw the writing on the wall and began to make deals with the media owners so that they could um, hopefully avoid being designated by just giving them some money on, you know, outside of the process. And Facebook went nuclear. One morning we woke up and Australia had been unfriended. News brands were no longer able to post their articles to their pages and neither were the public. So all of that traffic that came to all of the major mastheads via Facebook was just gone instantly. Very kind of uh, heavy-handed thing on the part of Facebook. Um, uh, Made global headlines because it was Facebook being a bully. It was all of these headlines about Facebook having too much power. Um, Meanwhile, conversations carried on behind the scenes. uh, And after... 
five and a half days, there was a bit of a compromise reached whereby there are a couple of extra stages put in the process. There were some nods and winks that so long as Facebook did find some money for some of the big players or all of the big players, then probably they could avoid being designated too, which very broadly, after having had this sort of, you know, frantic period, is what's unfolded in the month since. You know, we've seen just about all of the major media owners reach agreements fairly easily with Google, a bit more belatedly with Facebook. Neither one of the organizations has been designated. But also there are a lot of kind of mid-sized and small media owners who didn't get to see any of the action who would have done if they'd been covered under the news media bargaining code. So that, I suppose, is what we're going to be looking forward to early, maybe in February 2022, when there's a bit of a review of the process so far, is whether Google and Facebook have actually done enough to head off uh, being designated Um Facebook in particular has seemed to kind of please itself. The most obvious example is not doing anything for SBS, but also um, the conversation was another kind of quite high profile example as well. So I think politics is going to get into it again. You know, the government does seem to have decided that there's politics in it and that there are votes in it. So we may yet see another battleground come February or March um, when it's not beyond the possibilities that Facebook will be designated. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see. It depends on what the appetite for a, for a fight at that point is from the, from the government, which is just about to enter uh, into um, an election battle. Tim, I'm just impressed that you managed to get the term unfriended into that uh, rundown. That was fantastic. We're going to move right along now. Uh, Emma, um, I'm going to bring you in. Uh, biggest story or headlines of the year from your perspective? Yeah, so it was a very big year for radio, obviously with heavy lockdowns in some states really affecting the listening habits. And the fact that we saw a swing towards talkback radio and away from FM, uh, mainly due to COVID lockdowns. But I think the biggest highlight and something to celebrate was when Kiss FM's Kyle and Jackie O became the number one breakfast show in Sydney for the first time. Uh, I believe that was Survey 4. Uh, that's a huge success for an FM station to take the lead, especially off Ben Fordham um, on Nine's AM station 2GB, uh, who was number one for 17 years in a row. Uh, in other news that's not so celebratory, we had ABC Sydney breakfast duo Wendy Harmer and Robbie Buck step down this year. They actually wrapped up their final show last Friday. Uh, I believe ABC's afternoon presenter, James Valentine, has been confirmed to take over from the duo next year. He's actually been working with the network since the early 90s uh, and did say he's beyond excited to wake up with Sydney. So that's quite exciting. Uh, moving on to another network, we actually had uh, Mick Malloy quit his Triple M Drive show after four years in the time slot. He said he's excited to explore some you know, new creative opportunities that are presenting themselves uh, for him for the years ahead. Uh, in other big movements at Triple M in Sydney was when SEA announced that Lawrence Moonman Mooney would be departing from his breakfast show effective immediately. Other big movements at Triple M in Sydney uh, was when SEA announced that Lawrence Moonman Mooney would be departing from his breakfast show effective immediately. Moonman later hired a lawyer against SEA due to early dismissal as his contract said he'd be employed until uh, another year. 
So it'll be interesting to see what the industry will bring in 2022. And I'd just like to add that um, on Mick Malloy's creative uh, endeavours in 2022, I have seen that he is uh, regenerating the famous railway hotel around the corner from me in Brunswick. So that's personally very exciting. <laughs> I'm well, glad. That's definitely the story of the year in, in radio in that case. Moving along to Anna, uh, I'm going to spoil it. I'm going to do a, a shocking dad pun. Do you want to have a, a jab at this, Anna? Christ alive, that was bad. <laughs> Jesus. Don't know if I can swear. I don't know. That doesn't even make sense. It's That's the Christmas <laughs> edition, Anna. I want to apologize. All right, Cal can cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was an awful pun demo, but I will go ahead regardless. Um, so, yeah, a big uh, feature of campaigns this year were campaigns promoting vaccinations, uh, promoting people to go out, get vaccinated, against COVID-19. So the first one that was uh, released was by Nine uh, back in June, the This Is Our Shot campaign, which featured Nine talent and celebrities sort of, you know, talking about why people should get vaccinated. And it did face a little bit of backlash online for featuring an all-white cast. Uh, But then quite quickly, they released a second version that was more diverse, including that one featured, uh, the second one featured Brooke Boney in it. But it wasn't really until July when the Arm Yourself campaign by the federal government was released that we really sort of saw a takeoff of campaigns that were promoting vaccination. And that one, the Arm Yourself campaign. Uh, so there were two, just a very, uh, in a very fun way, I'm going to have to describe visual, the visual of a campaign over audio, uh, but the Arm Yourself campaign had images of people's arms with a bandage on it. That was one part of it. And then there was another targeted ad for people in Sydney that showed a woman struggling to breathe. Uh, And that aspect of the campaign was pretty routinely criticized for its insensitivity. And then I've made a list of all the brands that were promoting vaccination. So bear with me. Um, So there are three federal government campaigns. There was a New South Wales government campaign, a hospital industry campaign, the vaccination A to Z, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, Amy, ABC, Nine, as I mentioned, Qantas, Telstra, Victoria Bitter, Business Australia, Virgin Australia, Elbert Cricket Ground, Woolworths. NAB turned into jab and tab turned into jab. So we had two jabs on the scene. Um, And I obviously, I do campaign review, which is where Umbrella looks at uh, the campaigns that have been published and reviews them. And interestingly, out of all of those, I had a look back and only nine were assessed out of those. Uh, The Victoria Bitter one, the VB Nostalgic, that was the one that was rated the highest on average out of all of those guys. Yeah, so it was was an interesting... um, argument as well that was also going along about how appropriate it was for brands to speak up on this issue that I I could see that debate playing out. Yeah, absolutely. And that was um, something that I wrote about in Best of the Week, actually, and and, uh, put a poll into. And if I remember correctly, it was somewhere around the 70% mark of people saying that brands should be backing vaccinations, but a, a fairly decent argument towards how they should do it and finding the relevance there. But um 
We'll move on now to uh, the next topic of conversation, uh, a good one to lead on because there was an announcement just this morning actually that Stan Sport had acquired a number of other smaller sports that it was going to uh, show on the subscription, the sports subscription there around motorsports. Uh, Cal, you're going to jump into that one. Yeah, for my storyline this year, I've actually gone with the ever-changing ecosystem of sports broadcasting rights in Australia. And to kind of illustrate that a bit more directly, I've focused on uh, football, so uh, well, soccer, because I think it kind of nicely encapsulates the ongoing changes. Um, so here, obviously, we have the the main players being the uh, the networks, and then the the new streaming platforms, those being Ko, Stan Sport, Paramount Plus. Amazon Prime Video and Optus Sport. So some years ago, Foxtel was the kind of main big player in the in the, the, the football broadcasting rights market, holding the Premier League, the A-League, most international fixtures and most international leagues as well available through different sports packages available on Foxtel subscriptions. Now the market is totally fragmented with uh, 10 Viacom CBS making a big play this year to really become the home of Australian football. It now hosts both men's and women's A-leagues, securing that deal earlier this year, as well as the Matildas and Socceroos matches. Their total investment is thought to be around the $300 million mark, uh, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. So it's a pretty significant investment from them. Uh, And then just just last month, actually, the very lucrative English Premier League rights were up for grabs uh, this year, and that finally settled again with Optus Sports uh, retaining the rights for a further six years through to 2028, worth a reported $600 million, again, from the SMH. It appeared that in the, in the lead-up, pretty much all of the kind of listed providers would be looking at... Um, looking at these rights as it it kind of was that last big blue chip item that could really kind of drive subscriptions. So, you know, Optus taking over from Foxtel in 2016, now paying about $100 million a year. That deal does probably dwarf most, most sports deals, even in Australia locally. And, you know, this is also looking at a competition which is hosted halfway across the world. It's sort of it, it, Optus also won the rights to host competitions such as the Copa America, the Women's Euros, Women's Super League in England, and the Women's World Cup. And then finally, Stan Sport, being the other kind of main player in this area, secured the rights to the UEFA Champions League, bringing over the host of the very popular Guardian Football Weekly podcast, Max Rushton, to be their on air uh, host alongside longtime SBS legend Craig Foster, who uh, finally left that uh, broadcaster this year. Um, Outside of football, the one kind of main deal that we're sort of waiting on is the NRL broadcast rights, which, as far as I'm concerned, have not been settled, uh, although they do look pretty certain to to stay with nine. It's kind of a matter of how much that will be uh, at this stage, the figures being thrown out between around 445 to 600 million for uh, a five-year deal. There's certainly a lot to come in this space. Um, 2021 was a kind of year of transition, changing the landscape, especially affirming that each of these players will be hanging around with Optus, obviously, um, putting that big investment down. As you mentioned at the top there, Damo, um, KO lost uh, the a few of those kind of motorsports to Stan Sport. Uh, and, and KO, who being the, the, the kind of Foxtel um, arm of Stream Ocean, uh, through Stream Ocean, I should say, 
used to sort of be that home for all these sports and kind of dominated the market. But now it doesn't really have that one blue chip exclusive item on there. Uh, Julian Ogren, the CEO of KO and Stream Motion, told Mumbrella this year that the platform is really all about convenience. Uh, but at the moment, it does seem that KO, uh, as we were discussing before the podcast, is sort of a supplementary item unless you are a total sports nut. Um, and of course, you know, they've got the American codes, the F1 and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see how this expands in 2022 as, um, you know, there are so many sports and so many rides to be won. Something's always coming up. Yeah, look, I'd probably just add very quickly on um, that final point from Callum about things coming up. It's an unusually short time until the next Summer Olympics without knowing who the broadcaster for Australia is going to be. Uh, Seven have got the right of refusal and they still haven't said. Maybe they'll wait until the Winter Olympics, but that one will be up for grabs. And the other thing which is going to change the landscape as well is, or potentially change the landscape, is the anti-siphoning rules, the way that protects certain sports for TV are under review at the moment. If something changes there, then that could really change the dynamic, particularly with the arrival of all of the streamers. I have a feeling that $10 is about to exit my wallet every month to stand sport so I can watch indie cars. But uh, moving on, one of the biggest news items for, for me was the, the prominence of regional media this year in the headlines, there was a lot of wheeling and dealing going on, some big uh, announcements in regional. Uh, and, and that was largely led uh, for a significant uh, portion of that with the continual rumours of Anthony Catalano through WHS Investments um, making the, uh, a move on Prime Media Group. Uh, but while uh, WHS did increase its stake um, at, at the same time, uh, media magnate Bruce Gordon decreased his in, in Prime. It was actually Seven West Media that uh, eventually made the move in November to acquire Prime Media Group uh, and has recently been given the the green light by the ACCC. Uh, It seems to be a move uh, with few losers uh, and SWM, Seven West Media, uh, has entered a conditional share sale agreement uh, to acquire Prime Media Group for $131.9 million. Uh, But there was a lot going on in regional media in general as well because not just that, we saw SCA begin a two-year regional TV affiliate deal uh, with 10, which uh, began on July 1. Uh, meanwhile, Wynn also announced a move uh, from SCA uh, to an affiliate deal with uh, 9, uh, which will last for seven years, and that also began on July 1. Um, and that deal led to the eventual integration um, of the Win 9 sales team uh, as well. So a lot going on in that department, but it wasn't all just TV and affiliate deals there either because Radioland, we, we saw HTE's ARN uh, acquire Grant Broadcasters, which is Australia's oldest regional radio company, uh, and the sale there was worth $307.5 million, uh, and it's given ARN um, 58 stations across 33 markets and, and 46 DAB plus stations as well, digital audio broadcast. Um, and so that results in ARN having a presence in, in every state and, and territory in Australia, a really big deal for radio and one that I know you, Tim, were, were following in particular to find out uh, what HTE was going to uh, in, invest in. But um, I will circle back around and sort of ask you, Tim, about uh, your thoughts on, on regional. But we also did see uh, Anthony Catalano's uh, Australian community media make a, a rather interesting uh, announcement uh of the launch of an insurance company as well called View Insurance. So the big spread of 
news uh, across multiple media there, a, a lot going on. And like I said, while we have you on the, the, the podcast, Tim, you, you were following a, a lot of this uh, quite a bit. Is it just me or did we see more regional uh, news and plays this year than we perhaps have in, in other years? There was a lot more interest in the regional side of things. I guess there's been a big focus, and that, that goes from buying on the media agency side and the brand side as well, on the metro side of things rather than regional, and credit to the regional players to come together to create the Boomtown Alliance, which has done a lot to, to raise the profile of regional media, but also, of course, it's been an attractive asset. So... As you say, it was the second time of asking that it looks like um, Seven are going to successfully get their their hands on Prime. Um, uh, the, the, the the shareholders deal all happens next week, but I think there's a there's a fairly wide assumption that it's going to cruise through. I see that Seven's share price and market capitalization is back above a billion dollars again in the last few days. So there's certainly an assumption from the market that um, the deal's going to get done and it's going to improve profitability for the company. Um, and as you say, we also saw Grant Broadcasters, one of the last big independent radio um, family-owned businesses um, get picked up by HT&E. And again, that one is, there don't seem to be many barriers to that one complete, that one completing. And we, we all had a sense that HT&E was up to something because they, they, they had lots of funds coming in. They were, they, they'd settled their deal with the tax, with the tax office. So there was a sense something was afoot. Uh, But, but, you know, this, 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 puts HT&E very much head-to-head with Southern Cross Stereo now, which um, had already owned regional as well as metro radio stations. And then, of course, when we think of Southern Cross Stereo, we also think of their um, regional TV interests, which is not totally, but mainly aligned with with 10 in affiliate deals. Uh, and, of course, with, with, you know, nine now, as you were saying, aligned to win, with seven aligned to prime, the big question is, Will a deal get done at some point for um, Viacom CBS to 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 buy SCA's regional TV operations? And Liv, round us out now for the last topic of this conversation. You're going to go in a slightly different direction. Yes, Damien, I'm going to look at the uh, the movement at the top of the tree, the C-suite, uh, which we've seen plenty of this year. Um, we also saw uh, WPP leaving the shores this year in terms of management when the buyout from WPP PLC took place. Um, even prior to that taking place in April, we saw Group M CEO Mark Lollback um, step down. Uh, some would say pushed, <laughs> but so that sort of kicked things off. Um, soon after the uh, takeover, we saw CEO Jens Monsies also step down from his role. Uh, interestingly, we understand from sources closest, close to him that he's still being paid by WPP, so he's still on the payroll as part of his notice period. Um, this does, however, also present prevent him from uh, signing up with another company. So he's still a a man of leisure in some ways, but also likely to be on the lookout for a new role uh, in the new year. Um, We've also heard off the record that he may have just bought a place in Sydney, so he's definitely keen to stick around. Um, 
It does, however, leave the country role for WPP still outstanding. There was a lot of rumour earlier in the year that Chief Strategy Officer Rose Herzeg was a strong contender, but apparently there was a lot of um, internal uh, upheaval about that in terms of several agency heads told head office that they would leave if she got that role. So it's uh, it's understood now that they've gone to market, that they've engaged a international headhunter, which is what they did when they hired Monsees back in 2019. So it will be interesting to see who eventually takes up that role in the new year when uh, when that person is appointed. Uh, also at WPP, big move was um, OMD's Amy Buchanan, who took on Lobach's old role. I had a lovely chat with her uh, a couple of weeks ago in terms of finding out what her plans are and she's, you know, very eager to continue the, the work of that group and in particular the agency mergers that are about to take place in January. Um, other big moves, of course, this year, Channel 9, uh, Nine Entertainment co-appointed uh, former Stan CEO Mike Sneesby to replace Hugh Marks. Uh, so that took place in, in April. Uh, Sneesby had, of, had been with um, Stan uh, since its inception and uh, is obviously was one of the strong contenders from the outset for that role. Uh, so he's now well and truly embedded, but there is still, um, you know, a few roles within that organisation have moved as a result of his appointment. Obviously, Chris Jans was one of the departures following his elevation um, at nine. And sticking with media, we also saw a new CEO for our media. Uh, we've had Jane Huxley replace Brendan Hill. Uh, Huxley returned from the UK to take up the role. And that's actually been something we've also seen this year a fair few times is uh, international talent returning or uh, expat talent returning to Australia. So UM's new CEO, uh, Anathea Ruse, who replaced Fiona Johnson, she returned to Australia from the US where she was Cara's uh, West Coast and Midwest operations head. And then um, some other interesting moves just at the top end, uh, Kirsty Muddle, who has managed to have two CEO appointments this year. First off was Cummins and Partners. And then uh, shortly after that, she then took a role with Densu as CEO of their creative group. Um, another big uh, announcement this year at the top end was Clemenger Group's Robert Morgan announcing he was going to step down as CEO, although he will keep on the chairman role. He's been replaced by Les Timar, who was CEO of one of their agencies, GRA Cosway. And lastly, Joan Warner, um, CEO of Commercial Radio Australia for 20 years, has announced she's also stepping down. So lots of activity in the market. We've, <laughs> we've been inundated with moves this year and keeping track of where everyone is and what roles are still outstanding is something that, you know, the team is uh, very much keeping an eye on and will continue into 2022. Um, there's obviously been loads of other moves, but those are the, probably the key ones to round off this chat. And that was the year that was. Let's move on, though, and get someone else's perspective on the year that was and the year that will be, because coming up next is my chat with Publicist Group ANZ CEO, Michael Rabello. Mm-hmm. 
It's been a bit more than a year ago since I spoke to Publicist Group Australia and New Zealand CEO Michael Ribello for the Mumbrella Cast virtually. Uh, and it was a pretty different world then, uh, while not one that was necessarily in lockdown, depending where you were. It was still sans vaccines. We're vaxxed up now, and I have the pleasure of sitting in your office, Mr. Ribello, uh, this time around. Probably touched a few too many things uh, around here. There's some cool things, a few good books, a few uh, interesting toys. I'll stop playing with your, your uh, equipment. But uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me again on the Mumbrella Cast. Damien, thank you. It's great to be here. Uh, look, I um, speaking of vaccines, I had my booster shot on Saturday, so no side effects just yet. So hopefully this podcast will, will make some sense. <laughs> well, you're looking you're looking fit and well. There's no tremors, there's no shakes or sweats. So uh, maybe maybe I need to act like I'm a bit more uh, <laughs> being a, being a bit harsher on you or something like that. <laughs> but the vaccine certainly hasn't done you any harm. That that's for sure. You're looking well. Um, like I said, it's been a year since uh, since I spoke to you on the, the Mumbrella cast. Um, the group globally has registered some great results. Um, locally, we've seen reports, we've reported indeed, about some big wins that, that you've had recently as well, Johnson & Johnson, Subway, among others. Um, it's been a busy year for the group. How uh, how would you define it, and, and are you actually going to take a break over Christmas? So I'll answer the last bit first, absolutely, uh, Damo. I think it's really important to take a bit of a, a breather. I, I believe you have to slow down sometimes to speed up, and Christmas is just a wonderful uh, time to do that. The holiday season is a, is a great period, so I'll, I'll be embracing that. Look, yes, you're right. Publicist Group globally have had a really strong year. I think if you look at the... Uh, the way the stock market, I guess, values our organisations, particularly the holding companies, it's, it's based on market capitalisation. Uh, and if you look at the market cap growth of, of the group uh, over since t- um, 2019, it's, it's, it's the strongest. We've surpassed all of our competitors. We've gone from number three to number one. So for me, that's quite a big um, uh, indicator of, of, the, of the success of the group. For us in Australia and New Zealand, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say that we've done our part uh, as well in, in, that, in that growth and in that success from little old Australia and New Zealand too. So I, I think we are um, very consistent with um, the, the growth the, the group has seen. Um, and as, as you mentioned, uh, we have um, seen some, some great new business growth here this year. Uh, starting the year with the Toyota uh, win, uh, the consolidated win of, of Creative and Media was a, was a big, um, I guess, indictment of our relationship with the with with with, with Toyota, but also of our strategy uh, as as uh, the connected platform and bringing that Creative and Media combination together. You guys reported J and J just the other week, just last week, which again was another great um, win for us. Uh, it is a it is a, a another connected model win uh, with media data healthcare shopper marketing digital advertising data assignments are really uh, I guess another strong uh, indictment of the connected platform um, group story uh, Subway the week before that again uh, another really um, reinforcement of the trusted partnerships we have with clients so Subway was our creative agency. Um, um, client for, for publicists worldwide and, and through that journey we, we've been able to bring the media in as well which again is another um, and th- th- these types of wins are really kind of they're great for us because they show that uh, we are building on our relationships but also that 
the way we see the world is very um, congruent with the way clients are now uh, seeing the world and, 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 and more so. So, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a strong year for us in that respect. Uh, I also like to think that the first step to growth is to retain uh, your clients. And this year we've had really strong retention rates, uh, not without its, you know, it's um, a, a loss here and there, but on the whole, we've had really strong retention. Again, that shows that we are doing the right thing by our clients and is remaining, I guess, committed, focused, and trying to develop solutions that are gonna help them accelerate growth. So on the whole, yeah, I think it's been a successful year. Uh, and, and one we can, you know, hope to build on in the future. Yeah, great. I mean, so a couple of questions off the back of that. Very strong year for, for the group, but also, I guess, for the industry in general, we, we've seen a good rebound in a number of different areas. SMI data is also quite strong as well, obviously, um, off the back of some you know challenging numbers the, the previous year in lockdown, but it, it, we're seeing healthy figures. Um, do you think that if looking back on, on how Adland in general uh, sort of approached the pandemic when it truly hit last year, do you think maybe we hit the panic button a bit too early or, or was the response a, a, you know, a smart response as we, uh, as we took it, I guess? Yeah. Hindsight 2020, you know? Hey, look, we, we were talking about this last year. I think it's, um, it's a fascinating uh, kind of exercise in, in psychology, right, in human psychology last year. We didn't know what was ahead of us. And so in, in those times of crisis, there's certain things that um, are decided upon uh, quite quickly. Uh, and one of those tends to be advertising media investment. And we saw that we saw that panic button being hit uh, across, I guess, some categories that were really impacted quite, um, you know, uh, quite soon, uh, such as the airlines, such as tourism. So. Uh, naturally, there was there was some um, some conservatism there, uh, which you know we just had to all had to kind of get our head around. But then we saw a bit more widespread, uh, I guess, um, uh, cutbacks as well. Uh, and I think what's happened this year is, and particularly towards the end of last year, is that when we could all see as a society and also as 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 uh, um, advertising and media professionals, whether client or agency side, we could see where there was a solution coming, such as vaccines. We could see uh, uh, in, in a, a plan being implemented by governments. We could see uh, stimulus being provided by governments too, that there was hope and there was confidence being built. And we saw last year uh, the, the spend levels come back. We've seen that uh, magnified this year. I don't think anyone was expecting the, the level of uh, resurgence in spend in 21 uh, that we've seen. And again, it comes back down to confidence, uh, it comes comes down to um, experience curve, right? Because some clients would have seen actually cutting spend uh, really quickly only meant that they had to um, spend more to, to get back to where they were. And in in particular on the media side, when we were seeing inventory, there was, you know, it was hard to get inventory that you would be, um, you would have been um, missing out uh, too. So it's been, I think, one of those things where we've had more experience. We've seen what um, the solution might look like. There has been confidence in that. We've seen government spend and the stimulus kick in, creating consumer demand. And I think we've all just been uh, a lot more um, uh, optimistic about the future. Now, I said I had two questions off the back of the, the big year. The, the second one is, you know, we've obviously been talking about the talent challenge in, in market at the moment as well. Uh, big new clients and a lot of action within the group as well. How have you personally found it in terms of finding finding the right people and, and fostering the people you've got within the group now to, to stay with the group uh, and, and to feel like, yeah. you know, this is their home. 
Look, it's been it's it's a question that comes up, I think, with every industry leader at the moment. I'd like to think that some of the actions we took last year, Damien, in the heat of the pandemic, when we put our people's jobs um, at the top of our priority list and trying to give them some level of um, uh, assurance, transparency, uh, and job security, when a lot of our competitors were were not doing that. We created a bit of trust and a bit of loyalty uh, coming into to, to 2021. Now, that's not to say we haven't experienced, um, uh, you know, uh, talent leaving us, uh, and, and and I think that's been the the market over. So I think it's been a bit of a perfect storm when I when I look at it. I look at the talent market, looking at the fact that there's been such a upwards in demand, you know, a surge in demand in, in what we're doing in terms of spend. Uh, that um, there's been new, you know, new roles created. Uh, there's been the shift of big business too, which we've been uh, fortunate to be on the, the upside of that. We've also seen, uh, I think this is, a, I was reading a stat a few months ago, so it might be slightly out of date, but something like 565,000 um, skilled work visas had left the country right, to return home. Because we're, you know, as we know, this, this industry is full of great um, you know, international expatriate talent, and we had a lot leaving. And we won't bring anything back either. We won't bring any of this talent back. So we've had some real interesting challenges here. We've seen a lot of money thrown at um, certain sectors of, of um, our industry too. So it's been a complete perfect storm in terms of how to deal with that. I'd like to think at the group that um, we have um, done reasonably well out of all of, um, out of through all of this. Uh, and we've tried to do that by uh, for starters, doing the right thing by our people, um, trying to create a progressive workplace, trying to create a, a culture uh, that values diversity, that, that um, values flexibility in the way we work. And we've talked about before the type of programs we've, we've launched, uh, you know, last year around Liberté, this year, uh, even last week, uh, the group globally announced um, um, a huge initiative, um, Work Your World, which, which basically allows any publicist group employee to work six weeks uh, overseas in any country that we have an office. Now, that's firstly to help um, any of our talent that are from another part of the world to go and reunite and spend time with their families, which is really important because I think if anything, what these last 18 months has taught, taught us is, you know, our family and, 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 and connections uh, with friends and, um, and our loved ones is so critical. Uh, and the other part to that is that we are naturally a curious industry. You know, we have people that, are from overseas coming to work here. We have Australians that go overseas to get gain international experience, to bring that back, to get that cultural, uh, you know, diversity uh, and learn new things. So we're now encouraging that. We know it's um, the pandemic's still here, but Work Your World allows our people to go overseas uh, and, and spend some time in another country every year if they want. So um, these are the types of things that we believe uh, are helping us create a, uh, I guess. Um, People talk about the employment value proposition, and, and we think it's no longer about an employee experience. What we've been trying to do here at Publicis is really create a life experience, because we know that um, people uh, want to fit their work around how they live and not the other way around. And for far too long, it's been the other way around. Fit your life around your work. So we've taken the shift to try and build a life experience for people and be part of that life experience. Uh, as best as we can, right? Uh, so I, I think um, there's still a lot of work to do. Obviously, I sit on the the, um, the Ad Council board and the MFA board, and when all the industry leaders get together, the the, the talent crisis is a is a um, one that comes up a lot. 
we use that phrase, the, the, the great resignation, a lot. I think it's also um, the great recalibration, uh, what I've seen either within the group or from, from the conversations we, we, we have at these board meetings is people are also just looking at um, the last 12, 18 months uh, and looked at the looked at what the, the crisis has taught them or helped them um, maybe shine a light on it a bit more. And, 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 you know, look, we've seen people that have said, hey, um, this is my side hustle I've been doing whilst I've been working in, um, in, in the advertising business. But actually, I really get a lot of... Um, um, uh, um, excitement, a lot of purpose out of that, that might now become my full-time gig and we're going, well, okay, well, maybe publicists can be your side gig. So we're trying to look at ways of how we can still create new ways of being part of um, someone's um, someone's overall um, world, right? And it may, and this is flipping, I guess, the old traditional um, ways of looking at employee-employee relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think publicists among many other uh, holding companies have put in a, a number of different initiatives. Uh, arguably, uh, Publicis has put in one of, if not the, the most in terms of employee benefits and, and new schemes, reworking, I, I guess, even on, on a, a base note, the sort of names of the different leave that, that you can take. And then a number of, uh, like you've said, Liberté, and, and I'm part French, but I'm going to completely butcher this because I don't speak the language embarrassingly enough, but uh, reunion and the, the other uh, initiatives that you've got. But um, look, let me touch on the, the creating them, first of all. How involved do you get in the, in the creation of those? Because some of them do come from global. Um, and what sort of opportunity do you have to get in there and, and sort of yeah. shape them? Look, um, uh, on any initiatives that we drive out of Australia and New Zealand, and, and to be honest, Australia and New Zealand have been pioneering uh, a lot of these things for publishers globally. Work your world. Hats off, full credit to our global team. Artur uh, and his team in in, um, in Paris and New York came up with that. Um, we had launched Reunion probably um, uh, a bit earlier, and Reunion was uh, drafted, considered, created here in Australia, as was Liberté. Uh, and look, I get very involved, but I also have a fantastic team. I have a great um, chief talent officer, Paulie Grant, uh, and her team who look at, you know, they, they study the, the future of work and, and the, the trends that are happening within our industry, uh, and, and, and they're, they're very creative in looking at what programs can we initiate. That requires, I guess, um, a lot of buy-in um, and support um, and consultation with not just myself, but the different CEOs of the brands, because um, they're all really, really um, interested and passionate about how do we make sure we can keep our best talent, how can we attract our lion's share of the best talent in, in um, the marketplace. So it's a real collaborative effort and it, re you know, it requires everyone's involvement and support because sometimes the best ideas, particularly when it comes to some of these initiatives, may not be practical as well. So we've got to take into consideration client expectations, team expectations, um, et cetera, right? So there's a, there's, there's a, and there's a whole, you know, there's all the, the legal uh, and uh, visa regulations as well, particularly when you're looking at programs that are, you know, people are working offshore. So it's quite a multifaceted effort. Uh, I can't take credit for the um, uh, actual conceptualization of them, um, but I'm a big supporter of them and involved in as, as much as I can be. I mean, that's a really interesting point that you bring up there in terms of, you know, I guess it talks to the sustainability of, of these programs uh, as well. Because like I said, we've seen a lot of uh, groups announce different uh, initiatives, um, and these are all new. Uh, and so I guess looking down the track and, and just seeing, you know, 
how sustainable are these from a business perspective? Um, and what do you need to get buy-in into these, you know, to get your, your managerial team to really keep pushing them and, and keep, you know, broadening them yeah. and expanding them? Um, I, I guess the other point that I'd have around that too would, would be, you know, we've had in our industry a number of challenges around, you know, fostering uh, inclusivity and diversity um, and eradicating some of the issues that we've got. And, and again, one of those challenges is, is getting people who've been in the industry for quite a number of years to sort of recalibrate and, and think differently and stick to it and, and sort of see it through. How do you see that within these new initiatives? You know, what do we have to do, at, not just as publicist group, mm. but as an industry to make sure that the, the good moves that we're making now in terms of putting these forward and, and building them, is, they're sort of seen through, you know, yeah. and they're fostered and, and grown. Yeah. Look, I think sustainability of these programs and uh, the ability to create meaningful change, I think um, it's, it's challenging, right? And, and if I was to answer that from a group perspective and from an industry perspective, I think the, the, the answers are fairly aligned and similar. Firstly, why we've had success with these things is because it's absolutely part of our values and our strategy on what we believe is going to be, make us a successful business and why our clients will um, want to do business with us, right? So if you don't have that fundamental, and this is the philosophy, if you don't have that fundamental belief, then it's just really uh, reactive to um, the, the market or the industry or societal um, trends, right? So if you don't fundamentally believe that, like when we brought up um, Liberté, that was well before the pandemic hit, because we were studying the future of our business and, and what work would look like, and we believed when it came to mental health and happiness, that being able to have flexibility through the research we had done was really important to delivering that. So we, we, we as an organisation from the very top realised that this is going to become critical to our business success. Because happy people, mentally um, you know, um, healthy people are going to be engaged, they're going to be um, more productive and they're going to be you know, they're going to value organizations that foster that so we, we that that was the starting point for us so when and that's why we've been able to sustain it and yes we had covid etc accelerated that but everything that we've done and that we believe has to come from a from your values and your purpose and and if it's not connected to that then it's going to be very hard to get sustainability and, and you're right i think as an industry uh we have seen some um some examples where these aren't sustainable or they haven't, or they become a little bit more, um, um, well, we've got this uh, policy here just so that we can um, tick a box to say that we've got it, right? And that's where, you know, I, I, look, I'm still, um, uh, I'm still optimistic about this industry uh, and our ability to deliver meaningful change, but there are certainly situations where that's not, um, that's not, that's not happening. Um, and you know, it's it's up to you know, for me, it's beholden upon agency leadership, group leadership, industry leadership to be to be holding these these to account. And the only way that you're going to get meaningful change is if you a it's connected to purpose and values, it's held um, uh, accountable um, by um, the leaders of the organisation, and it's got very clear KPIs which are reviewed, which are measured. Uh, and, and which are shared so people can see them. Um, and I think that's where we're getting to. I mean, if you look at um, <clears throat> both the MFA and the Ad Council this year, 
released the um, you know their own um, diversity uh, and inclusion um, surveys, which again will give us a strong benchmark on where we sit, and that will be used to measure progress and change over the over the coming years. Um, we do that at a group level too. We've got our own DEI surveys. We've got our own benchmarks, which we are measuring ourselves against, and we're sharing that. Right. So I, I think these are the things that help uh, help hold us to account, help show the progress, and and, and I guess um, help um, expose those that really want to make meaningful impact and those that are just trying to do um, have a a bit of lip service to this. We've got uh, time for, for one or two more questions. So I'm going to KPI you now on uh, a couple of things that, that you were saying last year when we uh, had a chat, which was essentially around, around the business and what you what you wanted to achieve and, and how the group was going about doing that. So just revisiting some of those thoughts, you know, you mentioned to focus on e-commerce, data sciences, technology, products. And you also mentioned the goal, as you've sort of alluded to already in, in this podcast, of having more clients work with multiple agencies in the group. If I can get you to just revisit those two goals and, and give us an update on, on where you are now and how that played out. Thanks, Damien. I should have listened to last year's podcast <laughs> before I jumped onto this one. Oh, but, wait till uh, I tell you what else yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but let me start with things like e-commerce. Um, uh, so we, um, we announced the acquisition of Balance Internet this year, which has been um, for us a really strong um, capability play. Uh, a great team of uh, e-commerce strategists, engineers, um, technological whiz kids, right, that now give us a really deep capability in helping our clients take their business and make it shoppable uh, uh, on, online, right? So we didn't have that at scale uh, last year, last time we spoke. So. That was a big acquisition for us. It allows our people to have that um, that, that solution uh, and, and offer that to, to clients looking to do that. So that was a big step in, 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 in the e-commerce um, charter for us. Uh, on, um, on our product uptake uh, and our diversification around our different um, products, as we, we, we see at the moment, I think the... the, um, the uh, the product-based um, uh, classic software businesses, uh, you know, um, you know, software as a service. Our business is more talent as a service. Uh, we try to uh, look at ways that we can, um, uh, you know, create not just talent as a service business model, but more more software as a service. Uh, and we launched this year the attention optimization product. Um, Jason Tanelli, our chief product officer, launched that this year, which again is a a new tool to help um, clients really. Um, Look at the uh, attention and engagement that they're getting from their from their communications. Now that's in its early days. We hope that over the next two or three years that really scales uh, to become a real um, a real um, business um, plan for us, a real bus a business model. So hold me to account in twelve months, and I'll let you know how that's progressed. This is going um, to become an annual podcast. Yeah, I hope so. Um, but on e-commerce and product, we've still got a lot more work to do on product, but we're getting there, right? Uh, and and I'd like to think that in three or four years, we've got a real diversified business mix here in the group, which is not just about talent as a service, but we've got some real software as a service too. That's gonna to be harder for us. It's not really an area we played in as an industry, but we're, we're looking at making some pioneering inroads in that. Um, but it's taking a little bit more time than, than I would have liked because I'm impatient and I like to accelerate. Um, so, so that would be on that. On, on, on uh, growing our, um, 
uh, our breadth of services across our client base. I think we've done pretty well this year. I would say that we've now got probably 16 out of our top 20 clients work with at least two of our agencies, uh, which has grown incrementally, um, which is fantastic. And again, we're not here to try and um, uh, be all things to all people. Not everyone wants the connected platform. Sometimes client just wants to work with one of our creative agencies or one of our media agencies or our PR agency, and we're, we're really happy with that. Uh, but when they're looking for, I guess, a more um, strategically integrated solution, that's when we've seen, seen the growth. And, 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 and it's, it's moving from just collaboration as well, Damien. What we're seeing is our um, growth in clients wanting um, us to work together aren't, isn't just about, because anyone can achieve collaboration. You can have a bunch of people sitting around the table shaking hands and nodding heads, and that's collaboration in some people's mind. But what we're trying to achieve here is real, um, really working as one, right? We're working as one around strategic um, articulation, whether that's market segmentation, whether that's brand strategy, whether that's comms planning, right through to the execution of an idea across all different, you know, um, all aspects uh, of a client's. Um, Channel plan or, 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 or ecosystem. So we are, um, you know, we're seeing when clients really want uh, their partners to work as one, they're, they're coming to us. And again, those wins I talked about earlier, I won't repeat those, but you know, they're the ones that are again validating this growth that we uh, have seen this year. So I think we've done pretty well. Um, still, lots more to do. Uh, I think we've got um, more work to do. If I was to be really honest, for me. Next year really isn't around, or this year, um, we've, we've created a great connected culture uh, in, in, in the way our leadership come together, and I'm talking about the leadership across our different agency brands, where they really are quite a, a, a they're a great bunch of people, because uh, we have a bit of a, a no dickheads policy here at the group, uh, a great bunch I'll of people. I'll see myself out then. <laughs> Um, a great bunch of people who genuinely like working together. There's a bit of healthy tension in there too, and, and, and they will be really um, uh, they'll lean into um, bringing or stepping back and bringing someone else in if they believe that there's a better solution within the group for for a client's particular brief needs or engagement. Now, what I'd like to do is see that go permeate far more across the entire organisation from. Everyone in our 1,600 old people within the publicist group, we've still got a bit of, bit of uh, work to do there, uh, but I think we've built the foundations and the leadership kind of um, uh, muscle memory to kind of drive that. And I'll ask you just one more question. I'll, I'll preface this with you've probably got about a minute or two to answer at least our uh, Mumbrella Cast producer, Callum, whips me across the head for going too long yet again. Um, I just wanted to uh, have a bit more detail on, on software as a service, as SaaS, uh, and sort of ask you why why that's so important for for Publicist Group, for yourself, because as you mentioned, it's, it's not something that most agencies really, really dabble in, to, to your point, it's yep. largely a talent-based industry. It is, and look, we, we made a major acquisition in, in Epsilon um, globally uh, two years ago now. That's a big software as a service business. Uh, look, it's scalable, uh, it is, um, it is uh, a, a, a part of the business that's probably a little bit more resilient to uh, things such as pandemics and, and crises. And uh, there, there's certainly, um, I guess when you've got um, uh, anything to do with FTEs involved, uh, particularly when it comes to procurement, there is a lot more challenges in maintaining, um, you know, a, a decent margin out there, right? Because, um, you know, 
they, they tend to be um, impacted uh, quite a lot. So whereas, as you've seen, the, the, the tech platforms and the, the tech vendors out there, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, their engagements are very different. It's a different commercial model. So it would be, I guess, um, uh, you know, um, well, I guess it's beholden upon us to have a look at how we can, how we can um, uh, move into that space and, and capitalise on, on that as well. Just to diversify, I guess, a total business model, right? Because um, we can't always rely on all the sectors we're in. Uh, if, you look, if I'm looking at the next five years or where the group's going, I've got to look at, well, in five years' time, what have we done differently? How have we changed our, our, our mix to still be at the heart of our clients' um, plans uh, and, and deliver solutions for them? But how do we do that? It might be very different. So that's really why we're, we're looking at, you know, um, you know Platforms, products, software, call it what we want, but things that aren't necessarily heavily reliant always on um, huge, um, huge teams. Well, Publicist Group Australia and New Zealand CEO Michael Rubello, thank you so much for joining me on the Mumbrella Cast. Until next year. Thanks, Damien. It's been great, and uh, I, I wish you and all of your listeners all the very best uh, for the the holiday season and uh, for 2022. Thank you, mate. Thank you. That's it from this year of the Mumbrella Cast and the Mumbrella team. Please make sure you subscribe to the Mumbrella Cast on whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be. Uh, as promised, details for the Christmas and New Year break. Andrew Banks will be on duty throughout Christmas and New Year. So please keep him company on abanksmumbrella.com.au or you can also use news at mumbrella.com.au. Aside from Andrew, we'll be shutting down uh, from Friday, 17th of December, and staff will slowly be returning uh, from January 4. But uh, two people that won't be returning uh, next year, certainly not at at the very start, is uh, Olivia, who's beginning her mat leaves for 12 months. Congratulations, Olivia. Thank you for being part of the cast and the team. Not a problem. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Tim Burrows shedding the title of uh, Editor-at-Large. Thank you so much for the midnight hours. Yes, thank you, Damo. And, uh, well, I'll be sorry to to, 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 to give up the title. It, it kind of seems time. I, I'll still be a supporter of Mumbrella, but um, I, I, I found writing about advertising, the human being is only able to keep one idea in their head at a time. And um unmade is the day job now and a lot of people still get confused between what I'm doing with Umbrella and what I'm doing with Unmade so it's time for me to focus so I will still be I think of myself as on team Umbrella but slightly more quietly in the future you'll have one of those lifetime gold memberships to to team Umbrella Tim thanks a lot no mate you haven't earned that yet (laughs) Number one season ticket holder. (laughs) Seat 1A. I could ask for nothing more. Fantastic. But that's it. That's it for this year. We're done. We'll be back next year. Thank you for listening and supporting Mumbrella. Thank you to Liv, Emma, Tim, Anna, and a special thanks to Mumbrella Chief of Staff of Melbourne, Callum Jasmine, for producing this podcast week on week. Have a great Christmas and New Year. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Cheers, Demo. Bye. Thank you.